Chapter 13 of Silianet's Legends by Henry John Whitfeld. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. St. Martin's. Gratez la Russe, said Napoleon. Et vous traverez la Tatar. Civilize the Celt if you please, but his nature constantly betrays itself, as an Australian savage runs away from education and the restraints of cities to freedom and his favourite dish of roasted maggots in the wilderness, and as old Blucher replied, when someone told him that Beaumont had become a royalist and had mounted a white cockade, you may stick a peacock's feather in a door's tail, but the bird is a door still. We are at St. Martin's today. There, as elsewhere, are the remains of former cultivation and of a population far more numerous than at present day. On the island are two small towns. One of them on the higher ground, facing Crow Sound, is neat and comfortable. The valley below it is carefully tilled, and would bear a comparison, both as to husbandry and fertility, with any part of Scilly. The old breed is pretty well extinct here, from frequent crosses, but the lower town has unmistakable evidence of its Celtic colony, with its dung hills and pools full of refuse and general untidiness, and even its poultry, for the Celt loves eggs, and a friend who accompanied me and who called the place Pigtown told me that here was the spot to lay in a stock of them. This was the state of the whole group in Woodley's time. Now the scene is a striking exception to the rest of the property. A youthful wag who wanted to describe the grand characteristics of his country women in these islands once chalked up on the pier at St. Mary's the following lines, Scads and tatties all week, and a green veil on Sundays. Footnote. Alas for the truth of this dish, Dick, scads are no longer caught. The people are too well off to eat them. Times are changed indeed. Just before the coming of the present proprietor, salt was sixpence a pound, and the wretched and starving population ate their dried fish without it, not being able to buy. A petition was sent to government begging for a remission of the duty on account of the frightful destitution of the poorer classes, and I believe that some indulgence was shown. In opposition to this fact, I will give an illustration of the state of Tresco now. In May of this present year, there were a few shillings derived from the offerings at the sacrament to be given away, and out of a population of 420 souls, there was some difficulty in finding persons poor enough to be qualified to receive it. Reader's note footnote ends. I am sorry to say that not only at St. Martin's, but in other places, this slovenly way of living, and this love of finery, still present a disagreeable contrast. Footnote. Parasols are in universal request. In fact, I am told that they are even used by girls when they go milking. Reader's note footnote ends. One reason has been assigned, and perhaps with some truth, for the inferiority of St. Martin's. There is no resident clergyman. The schoolmaster, who is a dissenter of a sect called the Bryanites, now very prevalent here, is the only minister of any denomination in the island. There is, at the present day, a strong feeling in favour of the established church and of increasing its sufficiency. Large sums are lavished upon it, and every attention is paid to its pomp and to its beauty, but when fifty pounds a year would win to Christ such a district as this, there are no funds from which that pittance can be obtained. The Duchy of Cornwall is wealthy and is hoarding up a large surplus, for what purpose heaven only knows, and it is vain to ask, and very uncharitable to conjecture. But, with all this provident economy on the one hand, and profuseness on the other, this sui appetens, alieni profusus, it is, it seems, utterly impossible to find sufficient income for a clergyman here, even by uniting the offices of schoolmaster and of curate, as is done at St. Agnes. Footnote. 
Clerical matters are indeed, like other things, in rather an exceptional state in Scilly. I was myself lectured by a clergyman on the impropriety of my baptising on a Sunday. St. Martin's is a singular kind of ridge rising out of the sea. It appears a long spine, not, I should think, less than two miles and a half long, nor more than three quarters of a mile in breadth. It is principally down, but there are some parts of great richness and capable of bearing anything, could they only be sheltered from the winds, which blow with a violence irresistible and hardly to be described. An excellent road is in progress. A few years ago, there was not one wheeled carriage in Scilly. Now there are dozens, and this improvement, with so many others recently introduced, is to be ascribed solely to the judgment and liberality from which the islands have already so largely benefited. The natives are said to be singularly proud of St. Martin's and to be very jealous of strangers. I could not, for the life of me, help thinking how applicable to this feeling was the beginning of the old monkish canticle, O Mihi Beata Martin, so quaintly parodied by the reformers in the words, All my eye and Betty Martin. By the way, many of our vulgar expressions are derived from this source, that is, from corrupted Latiny. For the nonce, please the pigs, picks, hocus pocus, hocus corpus, other jests of the day, when a sneer at the ancient faith, fell in with the humour of the majority. The people here are very fond of fine names. Among them are Elmira, Thomasina, Thamasina, Melinda, Amelia, Florence, Joyce, Honour, and while on the subject of names, I may add that it is a popular article of belief that a person may be christened a second time. I heard of a girl who disliked her name, which was Joyce, so she rechristened herself Jessie, and Jessie she is called accordingly. There was not one inhabitant on St. Martin's 160 years ago, according to Troutbeck. He described it as unfit for cultivation, while in another place he said truly that in early times it was tilled universally. I can add to this statement a fact that confirms it strongly. Above the higher town there was, many years ago apparently, a waste of sand. This covering, though about twelve feet deep, was removed by the wind, and below it was discovered good soil, with the ancient enclosures quite uninjured. A century ago there were but three families here. Mr. Ekins, the first resident of the Godolphins, encouraged people to come hither and settle. In Troutbeck's time the population had increased to thirty families and one hundred and eighty souls. In Woodley's day, there were 60 houses and about 280 people. At present, its inhabitants are not quite so numerous, but its prosperity is very much on the increase. The potatoes grown on it are considered to be the best in Scilly. Near Hightown is the Little Church, the cemetery of which is the only portion now used. The church takes here an enforced care for the dead body, while she neglects her duty to the living soul. Footnote. Since writing the above, I find that an expedient has been adopted, or rather, has been revived to remove the evil, though, like most expedients, it only makes matters worse. The curate of St. Mary's goes over to St. Martin's on Sunday afternoon to do duty there. Now, the people are all Bryanites, and the schoolmaster, who is a most respectable man, is also, as I have previously stated, the Bryanite minister. The islanders have, therefore, the compulsory service of taking four journeys, backwards and forwards in all weathers, in order that a clergyman in whom they don't believe, and of whom they know nothing and see nothing further, may gabble over a few prayers and a sermon merely to have it said that the duty is again done at St. Martin's. These makeshifts do more harm than good, they affect nothing. What is wanted is the presence, the friendly countenance, the example of a resident clergyman. When one of the former chaplains used to go over on Sundays, as is now done, 
The boatmen often abused him to his face for the trouble he gave them. The church is supported in Scilly from a private source with the noblest liberality, and it is a pity that none of its wealthy societies can come forward to its aid. Readers note footnote ends. A neighbouring eminence, 160 feet in height, is crowned with a building called the Daymark, raised by Mr. Ekins in 1683 as a guide for ships. Over the doors are his initials, T.E., with the date of erection. On a lonely hill, footnote called Crothers, footnote ends, at the western extremity of St. Martin's are three objects of greater interest than any other on the island. I allude to the circles or carns or barrows, for they partake in part of each character to be seen there. They are very perfect, though many of the stones have been removed for building purposes. Still, enough remains to show the outline. There beneath those great rocks lie the hands that once tilled these lands, and the feet that once trod them. These warriors of the age of hills tell us a solemn tale. How or when the nation that dwelt here became extinct, says Borlase, we have no means of judging. All we know is that they are gone. Their place knows them not. Like those of Petra, who dwelt in the clefts of the rocks, the men of that forgotten brood lie here on every headland, each in his stern and lonely sepulchre. The arms that piled above them, that mass of stones, are dust and ashes like themselves. The emim and the avum and the zamzamim of scripture are as unreal and as indistinct to our sense as these chieftains. I stand now by the open cell of one of them, and the words of Ossian come upon me with a strange and appropriate truth. Why dost thou build the hall, son of the winged days? Yet a little while, and the blast of the desert comes. It howls through thy deserted courts, and whistles round thy half-worn shield. The transition from these dim religious dreams to the cultivation and cleanliness of Hightown is certainly unromantic, but it is scarcely unpleasant. The Spaniards have a proverb which is not malaprop here, and indeed it would be difficult to find a circumstance to which they have not applicable some quaint old saw. That which occurs to me now seems at first sight rather alien to the character of that most unpractical and impracticable nation. They say, El primero est el omnipotente, y don dinero es su lugar teniente. The chief one is the omnipotent, and don money is his lieutenant. I am afraid that even the aspect of this little long rock, resembling what an Irishman once called the backbone of the world picked by the old one, is proof of this saying. The capital spent on these islands by a generous and skilful hand has developed the resources placed within their reach by God. We come down from the dreamland and leave the narrow homes of those to whom worldly good and evil are now alike of no account, and stand in the hollow below high town and look upon the many traces of its peace and plenty, yet the reputation of the recipients by no means corresponds with these blessings. The people of St. Martin's are said to be the hardest and most unfeeling of any of the inhabitants of these isles. I have heard some singular stories of their selfishness and want of heart, such as the following. The wife of a sick man, who was very well-to-do in the world, bought two pounds of meat for making broth. Before it could be put into the pot, the husband died, and his spouse, seizing the piece of mutton, ran out of the house and went round to the neighbours, trying to dispose of it. We ascend the steep hill, enjoying at once the prospect, the walk, and the gleamy sunlight that brightened every object around. My companion was one who had a right to take pride in what we beheld. 
While we toiled up the ascent, walking slowly and detained by our remarks on what we saw, I was irresistibly reminded of an anecdote which I once heard adduced as an evidence of Irish wit and readiness. The Duke of Wellington, as every one knows, is extremely punctual in keeping even the most trifling appointment. He was one day when in Ireland, going out, I believe, to dinner, and the horses being such as they usually are in that ingenious country, where you find everything handy but what you really want, came nearly to a standstill. The Duke put his head out of the window and swore like forty Pictons, and he, it is said, swore like forty dragoons. At last one of the Pastilians, a fellow with a rich brogue, and an eye worthy of Lazarillo de Tormes, could stand it no longer. He turned half round on his saddle, and, coolly confronting the angry Duke, addressed him thus. "'Is it weak? Call them the poor beasts.' "'Sure it is not weak they are at all. "'Your honour well knows that it isn't the carriage that they feel, "'but it's the weight of your honour's glory that keeps them back.' "'And the rogue beat the duke, who drew in his head and held his tongue.'" End of chapter 13 Recording by Timothy Ferguson, Gold Coast, Australia